The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel, the conclusion of the Holy Gospel, according to Mark. Jesus said to his disciples, Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak new languages. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and took his seat at the right hand of God. But they went forth and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them, and confirm the word through accompanying signs. The Gospel of the Lord. Of all of the plays of William Shakespeare, it's possible that the most famous, or at least one of them, is Julius Caesar. Many of us had to read it at one time or another. And perhaps the most well-known eulogy in all of literature is in that play, delivered by Mark Anthony. Many of us will remember that, too. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. It is the evil in men's lives that live on. The good is often interred with their bones. He is mourning Caesar, and he wants all of Rome to mourn with him. But even more than that, he wants vengeance taken on the ones who assassinated him, especially Brutus and Cassius, and in particular, Brutus, who was as a son to Caesar. He was his good friend. In fact, although although William Shakespeare has Caesar saying, et tu, Brute, and you too, Brutus, in Latin. In fact, we are told that what Caesar did say in Greek was, and you too, my son. So Mark Anthony wants vengeance, and he's going to get it, and he does. We all mourn when someone we love dies or is taken away, don't we? Whether they were to leave and we would never see them again, or even death. And sometimes, too, If that person dies in battle or through violence, we want vengeance. Well, there's one great exception to that rule. One unique death and one unusual, unique separation that isn't that way at all. And that's today's feast, solemnity, the ascension. Our Lord died. They were grieved. He rose from the dead. They're ecstatic. Now he leaves them again, this time to ascend into heaven. So I said, when someone leaves us that we love, especially if it were someone whom we could love as we could love nobody else, meaning the Lord, and who could love us as no one else could love us, meaning the Lord again, then we would truly be grieved, but they aren't. They go out into the world joyful 
to proclaim the good news of what they've received. They're ecstatic. It seems strange. You think they would be downcast. And not only that, but they don't want to wreak vengeance on the ones who did it. Just the opposite. They want their conversion. They want them to experience the joy that they're experiencing. The very ones who killed him. We don't see that anywhere else. Because they know something. They know that he is truly alive in a way that now is very different. And I say, well, he's alive in my spirit. Well, yes. In my heart, certainly. Uh, alive in my thoughts and my memory, yes. But it's more than that. Uh, that doesn't always make us joyful. He's really alive in their midst, and they know it. I've said before on a number of occasions that the reason our Lord was stripped of his garments when he was crucified, the Romans did it for humiliation. But he had to be stripped because his clothes localized him. They made him a person of one place, one time, one era, one country. And he was going to the cross to redeem all humanity. So he was stripped of his garments. He's going there to redeem us all. It's universal redemption. Salvation isn't, but redemption is. And so our Lord then does that and then comes back. In his resurrection, he can be in many places at the same time, but still he's basically localized somewhere or other, but he doesn't come for that either. He now must be universalized in a way beyond all others. His ascension makes that possible. He ascends into heaven in order to come to us all, to come to all humanity. But how? What makes the apostles so joyful? When you think, like I said, they would be depressed and downcast. They were just going out to talk about a memory, about something that had happened. They are talking about that. Do they bear him in their hearts as we do? Yes. Do they bear him in their mind? All these things? Yes. Do they have, have much to say? Yes, they do. But that's not the whole thing. They know him really. In his church, absolutely, which is his body. But more than that, too, as we know, they know him in the flesh. He has not left us. He remains there in his body and blood. It always comes back to that, doesn't it? Because it has to come back to that. That's where their real joy comes from. That was the joy of the early church. That's why the early church was willing to suffer and die to celebrate the Eucharist. We get bored. They were willing to do everything, including give up their lives, just to go to Mass, even though they might be executed on the way out the door, as they were in that painting. Uh, They wanted that. They wanted his presence, as we do. So he's universalized to us. But there's more than that, too, because once we understand that, once we experience him, the first reading, our Lord ascends into heaven, they stand looking up to heaven. I think I would, too. If somebody I knew ascended into the clouds, I'd look up. Uh, and they do. But an angel comes, or angels, and say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up to heaven? This Jesus who left will come back again. And he does, and so they are no longer looking up to heaven, although by way of expectation they might, Now they have something to bring out into the world because they've received it as we do. We have something to take into the world too, what we have received. Something far greater than the world can imagine. So we aren't in mourning. We're in great joy because of what we know to be true. How can we live without this presence? I don't understand it. In any event, um, they will now be visible signs of his victory in their own lives as you and I are visible signs of 
his victory. Uh, it's quite, a, quite amazing to think that we've been called to something so great, isn't it? To something so overwhelming. And yet we have. We can't do it on our own. Only with the grace of God can we do it. Only with what he has given us is it, made, is it possible for us then to become these different people. Uh, so the world then will have to be surprised at what it experiences in us. We are a joyful people, not in the giddy, silly sense of joy, but in a profound, deep, humble sense that comes from what God has done. Uh, this is serious business, again, with a joy the world does not understand. Uh, I remember there was one of the Desert Fathers uh, who was always smiling. I think ordinarily that's not something I recommend. Um, first of all, it's very hard on the face muscles. And secondly, there's something very artificial about it. Uh, someone's always smiling, you begin to wonder exactly what they're on nowadays. Uh, but there was one monk who was always smiling. And somebody said, well, why are you always smiling? He said, because no one can take God from me. That's true. And as I said, our joy is a different kind of joy, and a joy that is sometimes visible in that sense, sometimes visible in um, its seriousness, sometimes visible even in pain and sorrow, but it remains there. So we will go on now to make present what the ascension made possible, uh, his presence among all of us, uh, without exception, uh, and with a beauty that comes only through the eyes of faith. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you as the people redeemed by the blood of your Son, rejoicing in his ascension. For the Church throughout the world, it remembers will always be visible signs of the victory of Jesus Christ and his presence among us, especially the church suffering, we pray to the Lord. Lord For all nations of the world, especially our own, that they will be open to the coming of Jesus Christ to them, we pray to the Lord. Lord For all those who are sick and suffering, who bear the cross of Christ in any way, that they may know that they are united to his victory, for those who are greatly tempted, for those who have lost faith and grace, we pray to the Lord. Lord for a greater respect for human life, we pray to the Lord. Lord for an increase in vocations to priesthood and the consecrated life, and those young men and women who, like the early church, will take the message they have received to others in a radical way, for a greater reverence for the witness of marriage and the single life, we pray to the Lord. Lord for our bishop, priests, deacons, and seminarians, and for the American hierarchy, having been open to the coming of Christ to themselves, they may then proclaim that kingdom. We pray to the Lord. Lord for all mothers, that they will continue to grow in the grace of their vocation and always be visible signs of that unique love of God in motherhood. We pray to the Lord. Lord hear for the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, for those who have died in the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster, for all of our mothers who have died, and for Father Vetter, eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. For all of us here, 
that having realized Jesus Christ present among us still, the world may see him in us. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We now proclaim once again the victory of Jesus Christ as we sing.